Hello, and welcome to the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Becky Morgan, and I'm back once again with my Equalizer colleague, Ariana Cascone. Ariana, how are we doing? Doing well. Feeling a little tired after those late night Challenge Cup matches, but we chug along. We, we definitely chug along. And, you know, it wouldn't be the NWSL without shocking news materializing out of the blue we always plan what we're going to talk about in this podcast and then less than 24 hours before it has been changing quite dramatically last week we talked about the surprising news that ol rain for sale and this week we have some big coaching news on the shocking end of things we've learned that matt potter coach of the kansas city current has been fired from the team uh, out of nowhere from what everybody can see. And then in more positive news, we also learned that Amy Rodriguez, veteran legend player of both the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team, has been hired as kind of a surprise hire for coach of the Utah Royals. So we have a lot to talk about in this first half just about coaching. Um, and let's let's start with Matt Potter. Ariana, to say that this firing was abrupt, I think, is an understatement, um, especially because Potter was in Houston with the team and had led practice the day before. And then, boom, he was fired. And the current just announced that they had, quote unquote, parted ways with him. And this came out only about five hours before their Challenge Cup match against Houston. And by way of explanation, the only thing we've heard from the front office is from general manager Camille Levin Ashton saying we keep a pulse on the locker room and we are constantly evaluating ways to improve our club through our ongoing process of continuous improvement. We believe now is the right time for this change. And I mean, to me, that says a whole lot of nothing. I mean, it's a vague allusion to the locker room. It's a vague allusion to improvement, but like improvement, how, I mean, they're not giving reasons about why, he needed to be improved upon basically. So, you know, that's, that's really just saying nothing to me. Um, and it's also worth noting that no one in the front office has been made available for questions at any time before or since this announcement has happened. So there's been no further clarification about anything. So I don't know. Everybody I know has just been absolutely blown away by this. No one saw it coming. So Ariana, what was your reaction to this news? I was pretty surprised also. I totally didn't see this coming at all. Um, I'm not surprised, though, by the lack of information offered by the Kansas City <laughs> Current, um, such as the NWSL, it kind of feels like, which is, you know, I guess the way it is. But in their statement, like you said, a lot of vague language that really didn't mean much to me. Um, they also cited related to that his termination was related to issues around his leadership and employment responsibilities. Mm. Uh, I don't know what that means, really. I don't know if anyone knows, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> other than the current. But, you know, this is shocking in a vacuum, given that he traveled, like you said, and ran training the day before. But also, if you think about his footprint on Kansas City on the field, I mean, they almost did a, a worst-to-first transition in his first year as head coach, right? They were, they started off slow last year, ended up in the NWSL championship, lost to Portland, made some really huge offseason moves, 
were slated to be really good this season and unfortunately started the regular season slow again, three losses. But I didn't think he'd be canned after three losses. So I'm kind of left scratching my head a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there were three losses and, you know, they were pretty bad losses. I mean, mm-hmm. let's let's be completely honest. These are not good games. But at the same time, you know, they also have like almost a starting 11 of injured players right now. Right. Um, so, you know, that that happens and teams can also just start really poorly before they get it together and gel. And they've had a lot of personnel changes. So it makes sense that, you know, maybe they wouldn't be meshing together immediately with with all the player movement they've had. But, you know, only three games in, that's that's no real number to base data off of and be like, this performance isn't good. You know, and especially because, like we said, he traveled to Houston. Like, there were signs that Fareed Benstiti was going to be fired from O.L. Reign when he did not travel with them. I believe it was also to Houston. So, apparently, Houston is the graveyard of coaches. Um, He didn't travel with them. Sam Lady was the only one who traveled with them. And I remember people being like, oh, okay, something's going down. And lo and behold, it did. So, the fact that he actually went there is either a strange management decision if they knew he was going to be fired or it was something that happened and needed to be immediately dealt with. Mm-hmm. But the really thing that the thing that surprised me the most that like really only raised more questions for me was the um, what the players said after yesterday's game. Um, check out Dan Laletta's Equalizer article. He has a great write-up of everything that was said by Lola Banta and CC Kaiser. But the gist of it is that they only learned shortly before the rest of us that Potter, that Potter had been fired, and they had absolutely no clue it was going to happen. Um, Dan writes, asked directly if she knew or any teammates who had known of any negative interactions with Potter. Lola Banta said no. Not to my knowledge, no. I've done numerous interviews with Matt and about Matt and Matt literally just did one for me. And we're very truthful people. We had no knowledge that this was going to happen at all. We didn't have any say in it. It was news to us and where the whole shock came from. And then Cece Kaiser, who was in the interview with her was asked if she felt the same way. And she concurred the everything the um, Labanta had said she agreed with. So, I mean, there's a lot in there. You know, she's done interviews with Matt for Matt. So, I mean, that that states a warm relationship. And then we had no idea that this was going to happen at all. And we didn't have any say in it. I think, you know, that stands out pretty starkly. So, I mean, was there something big happening behind the scenes with the technical staff, with the coaching staff? Is this bleed over from... um from what we heard in um, preseason about Makia Minnis, you know, the, the draftee whose mother went to Twitter and, and talked about how she feels her daughter was very poorly treated by Kansas City during her trial period there. I mean, I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on what the players said, Ariana? Because that's, that's a pretty loaded statements. It's like the exact opposite of the front office. The front office said nothing where I feel like the players said a lot with not very much. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see these sort of statements because not not that these are statements defending Matt Potter, but they're not, they're just sort of, Communicating information that, like you said, it makes it seem like they had a very warm relationship. Um, and, you know, this shock 
I guess it's just interesting that the players are as shocked as we are. (laughs) And, and it doesn't sound like, you know, this was a move that they necessarily pushed for, or, you know, if they're shocked, it means they weren't expecting it. Um, And this part about, you know, Labonta citing that, you know, Matt, she and Matt are very truthful people. um, And, and they had no, knowledge that this was going to happen it makes me wonder if if something's going on behind the scenes sort of like what you're saying with the staff or even higher up with you know the gm or something of that nature could it be related to that draft pick situation with um makia minis and and you know her mistreatment possibly i mean there's no way to know right until kansas city finally comes out and says something which we're not sure if they will um but yeah i guess i'm I just don't know what to say because I don't know what really happened. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, two things that that I've always that that I find odd. First, the the fact that Levin Ashton said that we keep a pulse on the locker room is like the the first opening part of her statement, and yet the locker room, according to Captain Lola Banta, is like we had no idea. Like we we had no pro- no one that we know of had any problems with him. So like. Mm-hmm. keep it like what i don't know like is is that a truthful statement that they're putting they're saying it's about the locker room or are they just saying that to say something and make it seem like it needed to happen or did something happen that maybe like lola banta and all didn't even know about you know like a, an isolated incident with a player that that has yet to come out that needed this immediate firing i mean this is nwsl you know bad things have happened uh, in that way but at this point we have no knowledge that that has happened and so it's it's just a big point of confusion the other thing mm-hmm. is that i definitely don't want to make it seem like potter is completely void of responsibility in the way that trialists are treated i mean especially the part the the complaints about her not being told whether she'd be signed or not or how her progress was like i do feel like that should come directly from the coach but issues such as like accommodations and being flown in and being ready and all, you know, that's the GM's job. So like the issues with menace in my mind were not all like, they were more of a whole front office problem than just Mm -hmm. a coach issue. And so I think that that maybe speaks to, you know, slightly larger issues within the organization. But, you know, I, I think that right now the information we have is just, very small and we'll just have to wait for someone to pe- potentially come out and and break silence and talk more about what's happened because we just we just don't really have anything right now um you know moving on from matt potter in more positive news or we have amy rodriguez long of the national team the u.s national team where she's won two olympic gold medals and she's also won a world cup in 2015 she was a legendary player for the Utah Royals. She was their captain and um, only retired in 2021 and then had two seasons as an assistant coach with um, with USC, with the University of Southern California before the, I think, very surprising announcement that she has been selected as the head coach of the Utah Royals because... I mean, that's very limited coaching experience. And I also thought it was notable that um, in our Equalizer article about the hiring, um, because, of course, there's wonderful writing. I believe this was in Bella Munson's article. It may have been in Jeff Kasuf's because there are two articles about Amy Rodriguez. But it said that she's still only getting her um, A license. 
but she doesn't have it yet. And I thought that the requirements were that you had to actually fully have either your UEFA or USSF a license in order to get hired. I mean, obviously there's exceptions. And if she has a very, like a, a, a very soon arriving graduation date, I believe it might actually be allowed within the calendar year, as long as you're going to get it within your calendar year, you're allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that just to me more than, I'm not trying to say that she's, she's lacking the proper credentials. I'm more than saying that that's showing just how, you know, raw and young of a coach she actually is. So what are your takes on uh, Amy Rodriguez stepping into her first head coaching position as the head of the Utah Royals? Yeah. I mean, I'm excited for a rod. I think, you know, it's an exciting transition for her. I think, the way that it's come about is a little bit shocking, I guess, is the theme. <laughs> um, but just because, you know, she kind of quietly retired uh, from the NWSL. And then she the was... Because she got traded. Exactly. So the, the retirement kind of, in my opinion, came out of nowhere. And then she spent a year as an assistant at University of Southern California. You know, that's NCAA assistant. And now she's making a huge jump, in my opinion, to be, you know, top flight pro head coach. And there was an interesting quote that she said, um, it's going to be drinking. It's going to be like drinking through a fire hose in the beginning. And that stuck with me because to me, that's almost an understatement. Um, not to discount her ability in any way, right? Or to say that this is going to be a terrible failure, but I just don't know if she's ready, right? I don't, can you be ready to be the head coach of an NDBSL team after you've just been the assistant of a college team for a year? Um, that's sort of the question that's, that's bouncing around in my head right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's a fair point. Um, I mean, I guess looking at the history of the NWSL, God knows there have been mm-hmm. a ton of unqualified men who have just, you know, kind of, fallen their way, fallen upwards into positions. And th- I don't think this is that. But my, my, my point is that, you know, she's more qualified than uh, people like Christy Holly or Rory Dames who were given head coach positions. So, I mean, there is that. This is definitely going to be trial by fire. But, I mean, my, my takeaway is honestly that Utah looked and said, okay, we have the option here to hire someone that has a huge amount of goodwill in the community. And coming off the way that the Royals were forced to leave previously, um, you know, what they need is people to come back and be like, okay, we trust the people who are running this organization. Because, I mean, they also had a coaching issue with Craig Harrington, um and you know his his misbehavior around players too so they had the everybody thinks about Deloy Hansen but you know there's mm-hmm. also Craig Harrington so they had a whole lot of issues so bringing A-Rod in I think will create a good locker room environment it'll be good community relations but I mean it she could be an absolute prodigy tactically as a head coach but you know we'll we'll have to see I think that there's you know, there's there's no proven performance out there, but you got to start somewhere. So, you know, we'll we'll see how she does. But I truly, truly believe that this was an effort, um, a, a fan base goodwill amount of effort. But I mean, you're you're right. The assistant coaches I've talked to, who are former players, 
have basically said like, no, we need years in the league before we'll feel comfortable being a head coach. But yeah, everybody's, everybody's different. So I think this is exciting. I'm really interested to see how it goes. I'm happy that we're not seeing the same coaches recycled again and again, you know, just moved around from location to location. So, you know, I think there's some positives to it, but I do also have a lot of questions about how this will actually play out for Utah. Yeah, I think I hadn't thought about your point of this potentially being like an not an off the field sort of, you know, motivation, mm-hmm. but in a way that that thought process does make a lot of sense. Um, for me, that's not a good reason to hire a head coach, just like to be frank. Um, I think, you know, if you want to be an expansion team, of course, uh, San Diego sort of rose, raised the bar when it comes to expansion teams. So, you know, now the new standard is to to come in the league and to compete. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, having a head coach that really knows, obviously Amy Rodriguez knows the league from a player perspective very well. She was, you know, NWSL veteran. But I think not having coaching experience could potentially, you know, in my mind, it's more likely that it ends up being a little tumultuous than being successful right off the bat. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but it'll be exciting to see what happens. It'll also Absolutely. Be, it'll also be exciting to see who the Bay Area picks as their coach. They have to not be too far off from having someone because they definitely seem like a team that had their ducks in a row before the announcements are coming out. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that'll that'll be exciting to find out, too. Um, but, you know, we could probably talk more about coaching and everything that's that's happened with this. But we need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk a little bit about the Challenge Cup, which just kicked off on Wednesday. All right, and we are back, and we are going to talk a little bit about the Challenge Cup. 10 out of 12 teams played on Wednesday. We're recording this on Thursday, so if we say yesterday, that's why. Um, so that was that was a lot of games. The only reason I believe, the, this hasn't been confirmed to me, but I believe the, the only reason that racing and the Chicago Red Stars did not play is because racing is on an extended west coast trip and they asked to just stay on the west coast instead of traveling back to play a midweek game just to travel mm-hmm. to the west again so instead racing is going to have a really weird thursday 3 30 p.m game in may so yeah I, that was kind of the the payoff with that but um so either way we saw we saw 10 teams play and did anything jump out and surprise you in any of the results that we saw, Ariana? Uh, in terms of results, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't know about the results. I think the thing that surprised me, or maybe not surprised me, but I was glad to see is how much rotation there was mm-hmm. in the lineups. Um, you know, we'll talk about this, but I think the Challenge Cup is a really good time to rotate uh, lineups because, you know, these games, of course, there is a very big incentive which is that huge prize, a huge monetary prize, but it doesn't play into the regular season standings, right? There's no waiting on on whether or not this will impact your playoff position or 
the chances that you make playoffs. So, in fact, it could end up hurting the chances of you making playoffs if you play starters and then they're, you know, gas and they can't go in a situation where there are three games in nine days like we have sort of right now. Yes, exactly. So, you know, in terms of, of what I took away from it is a lot of rotation seeing players who potentially you know, haven't seen the field before. We saw some new goalkeepers take the pitch for the first time for their teams. Uh, Claudia Dickey at the rain, right? Um, we saw a new goalkeeper for Orlando. We saw Kansas City rotate their keeper. We saw Portland rotate their keeper. And, you know, that's the goalkeeper position, but that was the case in a lot of positions across the field. I think it's a good place for rookies to get minutes. Um, but some of these personnel decisions sort of hinge on individual clubs waiting of challenge cups importance yeah i agree with that and it's kind of interesting to see exactly how teams weighed the importance i mean i think that in some i'm pretty sure that the orlando pride they didn't exactly put out their normal roster they everybody tried something new mm-hmm. like emily madrill played as an outer back instead of a center back um for a lot of the game and that was interesting but even so i think more than most teams Orlando still put most of their starters out. Um, North Carolina also put a generous number of starters out. Like they didn't rest Caroline or anything like that or, or Emily Fox. And, you know, rotation though, I mean, it was a, a necessity because many of these players during the international break had played at least two games or up to two games, I guess. And some of them on different continents and then they come back and then they have three games in nine days, three games in 10 days. That's, that's a really dense schedule. And Casey Stoney has definitely expressed her, um, her frustration with that. But I mean, if you're going to have a cup like this and you're going to run it concurrently in the season, this is how it's going to have to function. Um, And that brings up two points that are worth making. You had alluded to this, but sponsor UKG, uh, the the Challenge Cup title sponsor UKG, has doubled the prize money from what was offered last year. So the total prize pool now is a million dollars. And this is the first time that any prize pool for any competition in U.S. women's soccer has been a million dollars. That's really exciting. It's, It's great to have such a big prize pool, but... It's absolutely absurd to me that it's now substantially bigger than what you get for winning the Shield or the entire league to become the league champions. Last year, um, if you won the Challenge Cup, if you won the Shield, or if you won the league, you got $10,000, like the the winning team, $10,000. So it made sense that, that they were all equal across the board. Uh, CarMax provided the ten thousand from for the Shield. UKG provided the ten thousand dollars for the Challenge Cup, and then the league provided the ten thousand dollars for the champions. So now, if the money is doubled, and it's we don't know how it's going to be dispersed out, how the prize pool is going to be distributed, but if it follows the same pattern and it just doubles everything that the players received as their bonuses from last year, then they would be getting, the winners would be getting $20,000 for winning the challenge cup versus 10,000 for the shield or the league championship. And that that's absurd to me. And that's also an insane amount of money considering that the, the minimum is still like $36,000 
So, I mean, yeah, that's great that players have an awesome chance to win this much money. But, I mean, I think there's real questions about, like, is this money being invested in in the best way? You know, like, are there better ways that would, you know, improve things for all players a little more if it was dispersed out? And, and also get rid of that, like, weirdly lopsided prize pool compared to the championship and... Uh, the shield, I can only assume that we're going to hear that those prizes are also getting raised at least mm-hmm. to the equivalent of the challenge cup, but we just haven't heard it yet because it's challenge cup time and it's not sh- playoff time for the league. But I don't know. I-, I think that it's great that the league is getting these sponsors who are willing to put this much money forward. There's nothing wrong with that. I just have questions about like how we're letting the sponsors control where the money is going to the point that it ends up being this lopsided, if that makes sense. What, what's your take on all this, Ariana? Yeah, in a vacuum, I love that the prize pool is this large for the Challenge Cup, right? My reservation enters the picture when it's compared to the Shield and playoffs. I mean, we have seen players be very vocal about the fact that that's kind of absurd, right? Jess Fishlock has been saying that this prize for the challenge cup doesn't really make sense relative to the shield and the championship, because it's very difficult to win the shield in the NWSL, right? The playoff race came down to the last weekend last year. Like there were several teams battling for that top spot until the end. So, you know, that speaks to how hard it is to win the regular season, let alone the playoffs. And I think, like you said, we haven't heard, about the prize pool for those two other, you know, titles. And I hope that they both go up, but I think if they don't, that's not such a good look. No, I don't think it's a good look too, because, you know, on the other side of it, Carson Pickett has talked about last year, she won it with the courage. Mm -hmm. Um, She won the challenge cup with the courage. She talked about how that $10,000 is absolutely life-changing for players. And that when she started in the league, the minimum salary was only $7,000. And I mean, I don't know if this is the only reason, but I mean, that final for the Challenge Cup last year between North Carolina and Washington was brutal to almost an uncomfortable degree because the players are playing so hard for it. And you have to believe that they were playing so hard because they wanted that bonus check. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wonder if, you know, both teams really suffered in the regular season after they played so incredibly hard in the challenge cup, because did they just force themselves to peak early? Did they just absolutely run out of gas? I mean, I don't know. That just seems a little odd to me taken all together. Of course, last year it was a preseason tournament this year. It is running concurrently with the season, Mm -hmm. which I think there's not a single person who will not find that to be a vast improvement um, because it not only like it doesn't, elongate the season as insanely as it did to have this like massive preseason conference not only like ahead of the regular season but then also like bleeding into it in a a really awkward way that caused games to be rescheduled last year that was just a horrible look so yes the fact that it's being played concurrently is good I know that players and coaches aren't happy that there's midweek games but last year and every year before this there were midweek games anyway Mm-hmm. And this way, at least, you know, if you're getting a midweek game, it's only going to be the Challenge Cup. So I, I think that's improved. But um, I think the biggest way that this is going to affect things is because uh, the majority of it's going to be played during the World Cup. And that's going to keep there from being any 
regular season games played during the majority of the World Cup. So do you think that that is something that players have been wanting, Ariane? And do you think that's something that's going to overall be good for the NWSL not to be competing with this major tournament? I think it has the potential to be good. I don't think they're, you know, it's quite there yet. Just given, you know, the fact that there were games on a Wednesday in April, right? The World mm-hmm. Cup has not started yet. I don't fully understand why the tournament could not happen fully during the World Cup. Uh, I'm not the one making the schedule, right? I'm Maybe there was a good reason, but there are some regular season games that World Cup players are going to miss, right? So it feels like even though this is an improvement, there are still improvements to be made. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is relevant for this summer for the Women's World Cup. This is relevant for next summer in the Olympics. Um, you know, it seems like the league took some amount of feedback into consideration, given that this is not a preseason tournament this year. Will they do that ahead of next year? Not sure. But, you know, I think it would just make a lot more sense to put the entire thing during, you know, the big international window. And then next year, there's not going to be a major international tournament. So like what's going to happen with the challenge cup next year, we're also going to have two more teams added and, they're both more towards the West. So what's that going to do to our divisions, you know, for the challenge cup. And, you know, as the league expands until it gets big enough to have divisions, as you add teams, you're adding what four games to even the regular season every year, because, you know, every team plays each other twice. So just adding teams makes the season longer, no matter what, but it'll also make the challenge cup longer because each team is going to play each other twice in each division in the challenge cup side there's a lot of questions for what's going to happen at the challenge cup next year Mm -hmm. but i mean i the honest question that i have and if you read my my article in equalizer about this then you already know my thoughts on this but like should the challenge cup exist next year like tell me right now without thinking about it what is the purpose of the challenge cup why does it exist beyond don't tell me why it started because that makes sense starting during COVID. Why does it exist in, t- in 2023 or why should it exist in 2024? What is the rationale for it? So I don't know why it exists now because it doesn't <laughs> happen during the Women's World Cup window. Um, I mean, next year, right? The Olympics, I, the, but the year after that, I'm not sure. Oh, um, God, I, yeah, I, the Olympics. I forgot about yeah. The Olympics, so. so I think. I actually am kind of a fan of more competitions. I will just say that. Uh, But given that the same clubs are playing the same clubs and sort of like what you're saying, it's just the same thing over and over and over again. I could see that it's leaving a lot to be desired, right? I wonder if it makes sense to, uh, I don't know, get other top flight women's league teams in the tournament, right? Like we have Liga MX Femenile in Mexico, could that be a fun thing to do? Right. Like I, I don't know the logistics behind that. Um, I'm just spitballing, but I think there are ways to improve adding more tournaments or more competitions um, that sort of uses the challenge cup as a jumping off point to get to maybe a better format. Yeah. I mean, if the challenge cup is going to be like, I, I love, tournaments i love special little cups and things like that (laughs) it's just like you said the challenge cup we're literally playing the same teams as regular competition like there's there's nothing different Mm -hmm. you know 
racing will now play Houston, Chicago, and Kansas City four times in the year instead of two. Like it, it gets a little boring seeing the same teams over and over again. Especially we're gonna play Kansas City on a Wednesday and like a Saturday. So like we're gonna like that's in like, one like, week. In one week. So that's wow. like a, a Kansas City double header because of the regular season and the Challenge Cup. And that's just that's not that fun. You know, I, I'm sorry. Like yeah, that's it's like we're playing baseball. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I actually like baseball, but I don't want soccer to be baseball. I want baseball right. to be baseball and soccer to be soccer. And so, you know, I just don't understand the necessity of it unless it's a placeholder for it to evolve to something else. I mean, yeah, if they added in Liga MX, it would be like, it would expand to be so huge. Like they would have to figure out a way to do it. It would have to be like the top teams or something like that. Like all the mm-hmm. teams made playoffs, like playing off against each other or something. Um, or they would just have to be chosen somehow. I don't know. I don't have the mechanism in mind, but like there needs to be something different. Like I, they, I think they want it to be like the men's U S open cup, but there's no clear second division yet. So maybe when the the USL Super League starts and there's a true second division, then it can be like, you know, England's Conti Cup where there you can have the thrill of like a second division team just absolutely knocking out a first division team and making a real run. You know, that's always I would love that. Oh, I would love that, too. I would love that. And then, you, I mean, you could open it and have like the WPSL and and, um, the, the W League in two. It's just like right now there's a bit too much in my mind of a gap between the semi-pro leagues and then suddenly the first tier and without having a second division in there. I think that that's a little too unbalanced. It wouldn't be fun, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, they, it, it needs to expand in some way. So it's not just NWSL, you know, deluxe, just like NWSL again, you know, the sequel to the regular season that just creates a denser, denser schedule and like potentially wins player wins players extra money but you know won't for the majority of the league that just it, as it exists right now I, I really feel like it's kind of a tired relic of a past that they're of the past that they're holding on to because it was so important in 2020 to bring the league back to have that moment but but right now until it can evolve in a way that it's actually offering something new the way it did in its first year I think that it's honestly kind of a waste of effort and resources and and player time and energy if they could do like a a single location like cup tournament during just the world cup during just the olympics on those years maybe that would be better than this massively expanded challenge cup but again you know i i don't know if that's possible yeah it's hard to tell it is hard to tell i think for the near future it seems like we might be stuck with the challenge cup so I think, I mean, <laughs> if UKG is willing to put this money out, they're definitely not going to cut it. I mean, let's be real. Yeah. Um, I would truly be interested to know what the players unfilteredly think about these tournaments, about what they think about the load that it adds to them. Um, like you mentioned what, what Fishlock said, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure that there's no like full consensus. I'm sure they all have different takes on it, but. I don't know, it's interesting. I mean, I, of course, I always want to see more games. So I'm always happy to watch Challenge Cup games. But again, I just, I just don't, I've struggled and I don't understand what it actually adds to the league in any like tangible, interesting way. But um, 
you know, we could, we could again, keep talking about this. I have a lot of thoughts about the challenge cup and yeah, I'm looking forward to see, you know, how this, the, the, the teams perform this weekend based on, you know, having had this midweek play, we'll see mm-hmm. if there's further rotation this weekend, be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. But for now, that is a wrap for today's show. So thank you, Ariana, so much for coming and joining me. I always love hosting with you. And of course, we'd also like to give a special thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy. I'm Becky Morgan, and this has been the Equalizer podcast. Thanks for joining us. 